This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this show a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include mature themes, including descriptions of nudity and sexual activity. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 324. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you, fresh off the writing desk. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 7 of Honor Bound by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 318 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Honor's father presented her to Duke Thomas, the ruling sovereign of Metamore. Thomas welcomed her as Lady Honor, formally bestowing on her the honorific that marks her as a member of the nobility. Honor joined her new peers and waited while the other debutantes and their parents were greeted by the Duke. But as the Viscountrix's Townsend walked by, their bodies shaped to feminine perfection by the androgyne curse, something strange happened to Honor. The amulet around her neck, left for her by her long-absent mother, grew warm against her chest, just as it had done earlier in her father's carriage. A lurid new fantasy filled her mind. She saw herself naked and on her knees, while the two beautiful androgynes pleasured and dominated her from in front and behind. The vision left her disoriented and trembling, even after the Townsends and their child Alex had moved on. Honor's cousin, Graham, the scion of House Bellevue, noticed her sudden arousal, and gleefully stoked her discomfort by whispering in her ear, "'Goodness, you do like the look of them, don't you?' Well, you wouldn't be the first lady of our house to feel that way. Honor was confused and humiliated. Why was he doing this? How did he know? But before Graham could say anything further, his father, Lord Tyrrell, intervened. He placed himself between Graham and Honor, glaring daggers at his troublesome son. Honor's own father, Lord Bellevue, shrugged apologetically. He could tell that his heir had done something embarrassing and inappropriate, and that Honor was flustered and upset, but he couldn't have heard the details, and Honor certainly wasn't going to repeat them. Honor continued to be plagued by lurid and unseemly thoughts as the ceremony went on, growing increasingly aroused and frustrated. Her humiliation only seemed to make her even more excited. Suddenly the procession ended with a round of applause, and the crowd of debutantes and their families began filing into the ballroom for dinner. Honor, for her part, had an urgent need to find a washroom. Honor Bound 
The House of Bellevue, Book One, written by L. C. Williams, narrated by Vivian Ferrari. Chapter Seven of Pendants and Petticoats. Honor made her way as quickly as she dared through the ballroom, weaving among the guests who were still finding their seats. Father had said the nearest washrooms were on the eastern side of the building, but it didn't feel nearly close enough. That spot of warmth above her breastbone was only growing hotter now, matched by the burning need between her legs. Everywhere she looked, she saw more lovely young bodies, painted lips and sparkling eyes, shapely bosoms and slender necks, long androgyne legs clad in tight-clinging hose, wide hips and curving bottoms that were only accentuated by the kilts and bustles that covered them. Every few seconds a new vision sprang to mind, images of soft lips and strong hands moving confidently over her naked, willing body. The amulet, she thought, as one particularly lurid image passed before her eyes. It has to be. With shaking hands, she reached up and unfastened it. The heat in her chest immediately began to fade. She balled up the chain and gripped the whole necklace in one small fist. Easier said than done, given the size of the amulet. She opened her hand and squinted down at it in suspicion. It wasn't glowing or doing anything else that was obviously magical. It felt warm in her hand, but that could have been because it had been resting against her skin. The cabochon stone caught the light from the floating orbs above the tables, glinting with threads of gold and green. The colors still shifted and changed, but only when she turned it. She was fairly sure it was a natural effect, and not a supernatural one. Still, she waited and no more visions flashed before her eyes. Part of her wanted to throw the amulet away, to be rid of this strange influence it had exerted on her mind, but another impulse warred against it. This was hers. Her mother had meant for her to have it. There must be a good reason. Surely her mother would not have given her a gift that would only torment her. Maybe it was an accident, Maybe she didn't know it was magical, or maybe it was cursed without her knowing it. The amulet had been in storage for nearly twenty years. What if someone had found it and done something terrible to it, out of spite for Lady Sylvia? She'd had no shortage of enemies in House Bellevue. Perhaps one of them knew that the amulet was meant for Honor, and wanted to make sure that Honor would feel no affection for the woman who had betrayed their house— Unlikely, perhaps, but was it any more unlikely than her mother intentionally giving her a cursed amulet? These were all excellent questions, but Honor had no way of answering them right now. There were more pressing matters to deal with. First, she needed a safe place to put the amulet. Somewhere she could keep it from working its magic on her, if magic it was. Second, she needed to do something about her undergarments— which were a sodden mess. Lastly, and perhaps most importantly, she needed some relief from the aching between her legs, which had not gone away when she removed the necklace. She thought she could find solutions for all three problems in the washroom. Resolutely, 
Honor gathered the front of her skirt in her hands, concealing the amulet in a fold of fabric. Then she continued weaving her way through the crowd, heading for the exits on the far side of the ballroom. Natasha watched from the eastern hallway as the Duke's guests filed into the ballroom for the reception. It was by far the largest crowd that she'd seen at the manor since she started working here, well over four hundred people by her rough count. She could understand why Captain Hansen had wanted all hands on deck. Instinct drew her attention to a flicker of rapid movement, a black and white something in the corner of her eye. Natasha turned in that direction, narrowing her eyes and trying to see through the milling bodies of the crowd. After a moment, she identified it. A short, petite woman, dark-haired and wearing a white dress, slipping quickly and quietly between the other guests with barely a glance at them. As she grew closer, Natasha noticed other peculiarities. She was holding the front of her skirts away from the sides of her body, her hands fisting tightly in the fabric, as if she were unaccustomed to moving in it, or perhaps trying to hide something in its folds. Her face, neck, and upper chest were flushed and mottled with color, and she seemed to be breathing hard, odd since the dancing hadn't started yet. Her eyes darted left and right, then seemed to focus in on one of the eastern exits, the one further down the hallway from where Natasha stood, where no guards were currently standing. The tiny woman began moving purposefully in that direction. Irene's words came back to Natasha's memory. Pickpockets and other petty criminals, especially if they're young and can disguise themselves among the debutantes. It's happened more often than you might think. So, a girl was moving through a party like a mouse through a room full of cats. She held her dress like she was trying to hide something with it, and now she was making for the exit. Yes, that all seemed suspicious to Natasha. Party crasher, she murmured. A thief, perhaps. But the girl did not seem to have noticed Natasha. With a grim smile, she faded back into the darkness of the hallway and moved quietly to intercept the girl. The ladies' washroom was a large and open space, with ornate wallpaper, thick carpets over tile floors, and faux marble columns made of plaster. The front lounge area had three fainting couches and several chairs, a mending table with sewing supplies, and a dresser with a large mirror for touching up cosmetics. The middle part of the room had six sinks with hot and cold running water, while the back end had six roomy wooden stalls with flush toilets. Honor was impressed. Lord Bellevue's estate only had five toilets in the entire building, and two of those were for the servants. She could still remember how excited everyone had been when they'd been installed. The washroom attendant was a vaguely androgynous-looking girl of about fifteen, with a heavy smattering of freckles and light brown hair pulled back under a snood. She was resting on one of the couches, reading a magazine, but she got promptly to her feet as Honor came in. Milady she said, bowing quickly at the waist. She scanned Honor up and down, and her expression quickly turned to one of concern. Goodness, are you all right, miss? Fine, just fine, Honor said, her voice coming out higher than usual and a little strained. I just 
uh, need some help out of this dress, if you please. I can't uh, bend over exactly. She tapped on her corset with her closed fist, still gripping the necklace tightly. The girl nodded once and hazarded a smile. Of course, miss. It's what I'm here for. Honor turned her back to the attendant, fig leafing her hands in front of her. The amulet still felt warm against her fingers. The girl unlaced the back of the gown and lifted it up and off of her, then unfastened the first petticoat underneath. That left Honor standing in just her underskirt, corset, sleeveless chemise, and her unfortunately moistened drawers. "'There you are, my lady,' the attendant said. She carefully laid out the garments on one of the couches, then stepped back and folded her hands behind her, waiting expectantly. "'Um?' Honor looked at the stalls, then back at the attendant. "'Were you just going to wait here?' Yes, miss, the girl said. I can help you back into your things when you're done. Honor hesitated. She had a plan for what to do next, but she hadn't really thought about the maid being in the room. Bellevue Manor didn't have full-time washroom attendance. She improvised. Well, it's just that I have a... a shy bladder, you see. So I was wondering, perhaps if you could... Wait outside. She glanced over at the door, then back at the attendant. And maybe stop anyone else from coming in. I'm terribly sorry, I know it's a lot to ask. The girl gave Honor a sympathetic look. Of course, miss. I'll be just outside. Thank you so much, Honor said. Just give me three knocks when you're done, the attendant added, and I'll come back in straight away. Good. Splendid. Thank you. Honor fidgeted and bounced nervously on her feet. Go away, go away, go away. The attendant gave her a curious look, but finally she went out, closing the door behind her. Honor let out a sigh of relief and set down the amulet on the mending table. After giving it one more suspicious look, during which it failed to do anything mysterious or supernatural, she left it there and got to work. Her first order of business was to get rid of her drawers. Since she could not bend over, this was no easy task. She managed it by laying back on a fainting couch, hiking up her underskirt, untying the drawstring, and wriggling her bottom against the cushion in a very undignified manner until the garment slid free. The scent of Honor's own musk was thick on the garment— and waves of embarrassment and arousal washed through her in equal measure. She wadded them up in one hand, with the dry parts facing outward, then used it like a sponge to towel off the moisture that still clung to her. In the process, her hand grazed over her nub, and the shock of pleasure that ran through her nearly made her forget about anything else. Later, she promised herself, and with an enormous effort of will— she finished cleaning herself up. The drawers went into a bin next to the sinks. Moving quickly now, Honor hurried back to the mending table. Rifling through the little storage compartments, she pulled out scissors, needle, and thread. She cut a piece of cloth off the bottom of her underskirt, then carefully stitched it onto the underside of the petticoat, forming a hidden pocket. She slid the amulet inside, then held the petticoat up to her waist, 
checking her reflection in the mirror. She turned to the left and right, but the pocket and its contents did not seem to be visible. Hopefully, if the amulet was magical, it would be far enough away from her skin that it wouldn't be able to affect her. She grinned at her reflection, feeling a sudden flood of relief. Which turned to panic an instant later, when the washroom door opened behind her. Honor spun around and put her back to the dresser, instinctively hiding the altered petticoat behind her. Into the room stepped a giant of a woman, dressed in the uniform of a Hassan houseguard. Her long blonde hair was pulled back in a double braid. Her shoulders were wider than father's. Her face had a cold, fierce beauty that made Honor think of wolves and dragons and mountain glaciers. The attendant lingered in the doorway behind her, looking confused and frightened and guilty. The guard narrowed her eyes at Honor, and she felt as if she were pinned to the table. You watch door, the guard said in thickly accented common, not taking her eyes off Honor for an instant. If anyone tries to come in, tell them is out of order. Y- yes, ma'am, the attendant said, and quickly shut the door. Honor watched, wide-eyed, as the guard stalked across the room toward her. She had never seen a woman look so powerful, so strong, so self-possessed. If she hadn't been looking at Honor like a cat who had cornered a mouse, Honor would have found her intensely attractive. Actually, if she were being honest with herself, part of her still did. "'What do you want with me?' Honor asked, hearing the trembling in her own voice. The guard stopped about three feet in front of her. Gods, she was so tall. She jutted her chin at a spot over Honor's shoulder. "'What do you have in your hands, little girl?' "'Nothing.' Honor said automatically, before realizing how ridiculous it was. My petticoat, she amended. The guard extended a hand toward her. Show me. Nervously, Honor held the garment up in front of her. The amulet added a noticeable weight to it, though it wasn't visible. She turned the petticoat around to show her the back. Show me inside, the guard ordered. Honor tried to look indignant. I beg your pardon. The guard's lips curved into a thin smile. She stepped forward and placed a hand, gently but firmly, on top of one of Honor's. The touch of her skin sent a shiver down Honor's arm and all the way up the back of her neck. Honor tried to pull back, but the woman was so strong that she might as well have been pulling against a statue. She stared into the fierce gray light of the woman's eyes, unable to tear herself away. With her other hand, the guard grabbed the hem of the petticoat and flipped it up and over their joined hands. The improvised pocket inverted, and the amulet slid out. The guard caught it by the chain and held it up before her with a look of triumph. Very pretty, she mused. She stared at it a moment longer, then slid her eyes back to Warner. Who did you take this from, little thief? And that's the end of Chapter 7. Come back next time as Honor tries to talk herself out of this mess. 
Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released once per week for 51 weeks. If you're enjoying this story and would like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Shannon Alder said, I write because one day I will be gone, but what I believed and felt will live on. So, let's check in on my own writing endeavors. It's time for the Weekly Writing Report. This update covers the week of April 9th through April 15th. I didn't get any writing done at all this week. That's a deeply embarrassing confession for a writer to make, but it's the truth. I keep thinking I'm about to come out the other side of this slump, that this is the week I'm going to get my groove back. So far, it hasn't happened. In the mornings, as I sit down with my breakfast and coffee, I want to read other people's fiction instead of writing my own. In the evenings, I want to watch TV with Melanie, have game nights with my friends, or play the piano. And my lunch breaks at work, when they've been happening at all, have been filled up with answering emails, writing reports, and other desk work. Even on the weekends, I find a hundred ways to procrastinate, whether it's cooking, cleaning, doing laundry, or helping Mel in the garden. I've been getting the podcast episodes out every week, keeping a steady four weeks ahead in my production queue, but that's about it. Something needs to change. A daily writing habit is a discipline, like a healthy diet or exercise, and it's one that I need to rebuild. Over the last few months, I've been patient with myself. I've given myself time to rest, to regenerate, to replenish my creative reserves. But I can't let regeneration turn into stagnation. I have too many stories left to tell. This week I made a major shift in the sales strategy for my Metamore City books. I've taken all of my books off of Smashwords and Kobo and moved them into Kindle Universe, which is where I've made more than half my revenue on the Honor Bound books. I've also started an advertising campaign for Metamore City on Amazon Ads. So far, it's looking promising. I've sold 24 ebooks in the first four days which is more than I've sold in at least the previous three years. Several people have liked the look of the books well enough to buy the entire series all at once, which is a great return on my advertising dollar. Meanwhile, the Honor books continue to turn in large numbers of Kindle page reads, and those numbers are increasing every week. By and large, people who start the story seem to be finishing it, and positive ratings are continuing to trickle in. I don't know how long I'll be able to sustain this advertising push. Running ads is expensive. Over the last six weeks, I've spent over $700 to make approximately $1,100 or $1,200 in royalties. I won't know the exact figures for another month or so, and it'll be even longer before that money actually shows up in my account. Honestly, there are so many things about this system that are terrible. It's terrible that one megacorporation controls the book market, both on the sales side and the independent publishing side. It's terrible that authors have to pay that same megacorp for the privilege of having our books shown to prospective buyers. Buyers who will then pay that same megacorp, 
which then passes a fraction of the money back to us, the authors who are providing all the content. At the same time, though, as terrible as this system is, it seems to be the only system available right now for finding and hooking new readers. And what good is it to tell stories if no one hears them? So for now, I'll keep playing Amazon's rigged game, and hope that in time I can build enough of an audience to keep it self-sustaining. If you'd like to help me in that quest, one of the best things you can do is rate and review my books, on Audible, on Amazon, and on Goodreads, which are all different faces of Amazon, but that's another rant. The truth is, these are the places that people find new stuff to read, and if you can take a few minutes to tell them what you enjoyed about my stories, you can help convince them to give those stories a try. If you've already done this, thank you. I read every review, and a lot of times your encouraging words are the push I need to get back to the writing desk. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.